HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member now. Welcome to a special episode of Food Without Borders. I'm your host, Sari Kamen. A few weeks ago, our engineer, David Tadashore, and I went to Queens for a day of tasting New York's most diverse boroughs, many street food options with Culinary Backstreets, a tour company that focuses on the small and often underappreciated mom and pop kind of places that truly encompass the culinary heartbeat of a city. When founders Yigal Schleifer and Ansel Mullins reached out to us at Heritage Radio, David and I knew it would be a wonderful opportunity to go to Queens and hear from some of the immigrant vendors that make it, according to Anthony Bourdain, a wonderland for food. Our guide was Schneider, a chef who moved from Columbia to Jackson Heights in the late 80s. My name is Schneider. I'm one of the guides of the Backstreet's Food Tours, in, and, uh, which is the first one in New York in the United States. So we're in Corona, Queens, and we're going to start the food tour today. Um, we're going to go uh, a little bit through Jackson Heights, and we're going to swing around to Elmhurst. And we're going to go through Chinatown Amherst. So we're going to start with a little bit of, of uh, North American flair in the sense that we're going to do a little bit of Mexico. And then we swing down towards uh, South America. We'll do um, Argentinian, Uruguayan food, Colombian. And then we swing around towards Elmhurst. We start with uh, Thai. We'll do Thai, Chinese, and maybe some Korean. We'll see how that goes. I moved to Jackson Heights in the late 80s, and I came 
on a wave of Colombians that transformed 74th Street, Roosevelt, uh, that whole area on 37th. Uh, it used to be all white, and then it became all Colombian, and I came on that wave. Did your whole family come? My family, my mama and my brothers came before me, and then I came to join them about a year and a half later. And then uh, and my mom actually has her own her own big name. She's the Arepa Lady. Like I say, when I first arrived, I arrived with a wave of Colombians in the late in the late eighties. Even though there has been waves of Colombians since the fifties and sixties. Um, and then it became, uh, the neighborhood became all Korean, then became all Desi, Indian, Bangladesh, Pakistan. Um, and, and now there is the Himalayans, the Tibetans, and Nepali. Um, but now you see everything. You see a little bit of everything. Like, I don't trust anybody not to speak whatever language I speak, even though they're speaking some other language. Because that's another misconception we have in the neighborhood with the diversity, is that actually not everyone in Latin America speaks Spanish as a first language. They may speak it as a second language or as a common language. But Paraguayans, for example, speak uh, Guarani. Uh, Mexico has a tremendous amount of languages that people speak and I have found and hopefully we'll talk to some of them today who speak Otomi uh, or Central Americans who speak Quetzal um, and Colombians also speak a, a, a myriad of languages and then we have Chino Latinos to make it more complicated and we'll walk by a couple of Chino Latino places and Chino Latinos are the most common ones are the ones from um, Ecuador Peru and actually not all Peruvian Chino Latinos are actually Chino they're they might be Japanese Peruvians. Um, and then there is the, the traditional, the, the most people are familiar with are the Chino-Cubanos, uh, Cuban Chinese. And in, in, in Jackson Heights, I usually ask people, okay, what country would you like to try today? And we'll find something of that country in a walking distance. We are at La Espiga, which is a traditional Mexican uh, tortilleria and, and taco stand. And it started many years ago, and it was the first place that had um, really good quality homemade tortillas. And on the weekends, they make barbacoa, uh, which is slow-cooked uh, goat. Uh, and, and, and barbacoa, which is the word that comes from the Taino word for, uh, that we took the, the word from Taino to do the word barbecue. Uh, so it's slow-cooked uh, meats and, and homemade tortillas and really fire-hot, spi uh, really spicy sauces. So right now we're going to have tacos al pastor, which is actually the Arab influence uh, in Mexican cooking. It's done in the, in, the, in the rotisserie drum, just like the gyros, with the pineapple on top, and it's slow-cooked over the side flame. So that's what we're going to have. And I asked them to um, uh, give us uh, handmade, their, their own handmade tortillas. Letty Bakery is our next stop. It's, it's another, another love story and another fusion cooking because of the love story. So it's a, it's a family that's Colombian and Mexican. Uh, so all the baked goods are Colombian, uh, but all the food is Mexican. Um, and they started as a street vendors, and it's one of those little success stories of, of the American dream. Uh, they come here, they start in their little street stand, and they finally move into a brick and mortar place, um, which is one of the reasons we really would like to see more people be allowed to be street vendors. New York City has a cap on the amount of licenses 
that the street vendors have. And, and so that limits the opportunities for people. And, and those who don't have licenses um, are, uh, face a lot of police harassment and oppression. Uh, high fines and they, they take their food. It's just horrible. Okay, so we're, going, we're here. We're going to go into Lettuce Bakery. Torta, uh, no, asemita de, chor de chorizo. It's Mexican sausage with Oaxacan string cheese and papalo. Papalo is, is a little green. It looks like a, a watercress. And it has a really distinctive flavor. And then it also has uh, pickled chipotle pepper. These are like the kind of foods that you, you have, the snacks or, or foods that you have. You go to the taco stand and you get a couple of tacos or you get a semita like this and, and you have it after you've been having a couple of beers at night and, and you're sitting there with all this grease dripping down your side and to end your night and just go home and you're happy. <laughs> and, and this one right here is as close as you get to like having one on a street stand in Mexico. At our same table was an older couple who emerged from the kitchen eating a delicious-looking family meal. We spoke to Roberta about her role at the restaurant, and Schneider translated. Not only did she tell us about the origin of her food, she also insisted we taste what she was eating. I work in the counter, but I'm the one that uh, shows them all the recipes in the kitchen. Where, where do the recipes come from? Mexico. Are, are they recipes that you know from, from Mexico personally? Like, are they ones that you grew up with? ¿Y son recetas con las que usted creció? ¿Que usted se las sabía en México? Yeah. Sí. Sí. These are recipes that come from her, her grandparents and her family. And she brought them from, uh, from, to, from Mexico here by, on her, herself. What are your what are your favorite recipes or your, your special recipes that you brought with you? receta más favorita que usted tiene que le gusta más hacer? Bueno, lo tradicional de allá es el mole poblano. Las comidas que son muy variables. Todos los días comemos diferente comida. No siempre lo mismo. Diferente todos los días. Every day we eat different food. I, I really love the variety. Like every day we have something different. However, mole poblano is one thing that she really loves eating. Um, where, where in Mexico are you from, and is mole poblano like specific to that region? De, de dónde es usted en México y si el Puebla. De Puebla y el, el mole es originario de Puebla. De Puebla, Puebla es el mole poblano. Por eso se llama así mole poblano. I'm from Puebla, and that's where mole is originally from, and that's what we call it mole poblano. That's our our mole. What are you What are you eating there? It looks so good. Es es carne enchilada. Es muy originario también de allá, la asesina, también es muy, muy común allá en, de donde nosotros somos. So you have a picture, the staff is eating their staff meal, which of course looks nothing like what everything we're having on the counter. And what they're eating is, is carne enchilada, uh, which is a, a, a beef that's been pan fried with lots of chiles and spices. And saying it's very traditional for us to have uh, uh, some carne enchilada in Puebla. And, and they are eating it with their own tortillas and a little bit of uh, cheese that they are sliding right on top of it. It looks really amazing. From there, we started to head towards Jackson Heights, crossing through Junction Boulevard. The one story I like to tell about Junction Boulevard is Junction Boulevard used to be called the Mason-Dixon line. 
Um, and yeah, because Corona, there is a, which there is a wonderful book called Black Corona that people should pick up about the history of Black Corona. Uh, black uh, Corona was a, a neighborhood that was developed as a middle-class black neighborhood for families that were doing better in Harlem and they wanted to have a, a more suburban lifestyle and have families and all that. And uh, to the point where Dizzy Gillespie had a house here and Louis Armstrong had a house here, which now is the Louis Armstrong Museum that you can visit down the street. Um, the next stop was Prontito, a Colombian fast food restaurant specializing in hot dogs topped with very unconventional ingredients. So we have the Colombian hot dog. So I got as uh, a small version, which um, is... It's enormous. And this is the small one. And um, so it's the hot dog, the sausage, the, 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 it has three different kinds of sauces. Uh, the pineapple sauce, it has coleslaw, Colombian style with vinegar and salt. Um, it has pieces of bacon, it has uh, potato chips, it has mayo, avocado slices somewhere in there. Um, and it has the quintessential Colombian sauce. Nothing is as delicious as with pink sauce. And you all wonder what this culinary marvel is. <laughs> pink sauce is tomato, uh, sorry, it's ketchup and mayo mixed together. French dressing. Mm-hmm. Colombians love it. And then nothing is as elegant and as beautiful as something that has a quail egg sitting right on top. Mm -hmm. So that's topped with a quail egg. And uh, yeah, as you're, again... We also ordered a chulada. Douglas, who is working behind the counter at Prontito, explains. Okay, the the chulado is is like ice cone with fruits. You make with uh, the chulado, it got like one, two, three, four... Like seven kind of fruits. It got yeah, it's got it got pineapple, apple, mango, papaya, honeydew, it got um guanabana. guanabana. All in one? Yeah, all in one. It got uh, coconut, banana. And we make it with ice, scry like uh, ice cone. It's fruit. We put a blackberry and passion fruit flavor and milk, condensed milk. It's very, very good. And it was, although I recommend shaking it up or you'll end up drinking a straight shot of condensed milk, which I did. So our next stop is El Molino. El Molino is a, a little, conveni- our convenience store, our 7-Eleven, if you, if you will, um, which is a fascinating little place. So I like to stop there because I show people how uh, our local independent grocery store functions. This one survives thanks to the fact that three different families share the space. Um, so the back is an Argentinian butcher that we're going to stop and chat with for a little hmm, second. Uh, see if he has matambre, which sometimes we sample there. And uh, the front is run by two different families, one that sells the groceries and the other one that makes salsas and sells them out of the place. Um, and they split the rent. In the back of the store, we spoke to the Argentinian butcher, Ismael, a big I'm proponent of barbecue. Yeah. Uh, so you're, you're an Argentinian butcher? Yeah, Argentinian butcher, yeah. So what does that mean? What are, what are like the specific kind of meats that you deal with that are more indigenous to Argentina? Oh, now it's a specialty barbecue, uh, short rib, uh, scarcity, flat meat for the barbecue. I have uh, organic chicken. It's more so now. What's, uh, what's like the typical kind of like special, um, the specialties of Argentina? Um, Chorri for barbecue, parrillada, parrillada Argentina, uh, costillas is your, uh, your rib. 
scare steak is entrañas for barbecue. What's your favorite? For me, uh, scare steak. Now we're gonna uh, segue from, we're in Jackson Heights proper now. And so we're going to walk into Jackson Heights. We're going to get off Roosevelt, which is the noisy avenue. It's the avenue where the commerce and the clubs. And once you have a little bit more money, you stop renting near Roosevelt. You move farther down. And so we're going to go down to 37th Avenue. So you can see a little bit of the cops, the historical cops and the quieter streets. And Jackson Heights, of course, is a historical district which means the street signs are going to be in dark brown or light brown. And uh, it's one of the reasons we don't get gentrified. Uh, there is no incentives for developers to come in and put up huge developers, uh, develop, uh, developed uh, buildings um, because there is all these strict rules about how you can build, how high they can be, and all those things. Because uh, not only we're culturally very diverse, we're also really diverse as far as income levels. Uh, there is people who are on food stamps here, people who are multimillionaires, and we're all trying to get into this neighborhood. It's like one of the really unique characteristics of Jackson Heights. Our next stop, Chivito de Oro, the oldest Uruguayan restaurant in New York. Chivito is famous for their huge portions of grilled meats and their signature steak sandwich, the Chivito. One of the cooks explained what makes the Chivito so special and Snyder translated. My name is Agob, my from is Uruguay. Chivito pan la comida eh, especial es lo, 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 lo típico de Uruguay y lo típico de este restaurant. It's, a, it's, a, it's the most traditional thing you can get here at Chivito al pan, which is a steak sandwich. It's really well grilled meat. It's a, a tortuga, which is their own homemade bread. And then you layer it with ham, the steak, uh, homemade mozzarella cheese, lettuce, tomato, mayo, an egg on top, and it's so big. Spectacular. Sometimes one person cannot finish it. You need another person to finish it. Yeah. Oh, and also we're now transitioning from Jackson Heights into Elmhurst. So we just went through a sliver of Jackson Heights and we're gonna go into Elmhurst proper. The next stop in our transition, kind of like our transition stop, it's, uh, it's Louis Pizzeria, which is a pizza place uh, run by Albanians. Albanians? Yeah. Snyder let us know that Albanian pizza was in fact just really good regular pizza. We decided to skip it because we wanted to save room for the Southeast Asian food we were going to be eating next. We went into Sugar Club, a local place to pick up Thai groceries, prepared foods, and find out more about local events, jobs, and housing happening in the Thai community. I asked what prepared foods were popular at Sugar Club. This one, they don't have in America at all. Just bring from Thailand, like a salted fish. Yeah, it's good with the rice, but American people, did usually don't know this one. It's too Strong smell and salty. Strong smelling and salty fish? Naturally, that's what I chose. In addition to my very salty fermented fish, we also tasted a spicy papaya salad with crab and several of the colorful and sweet drinks. So we're at Sugar Club in Elmhurst, which is this um, really nice Thai grocery store, and they also have food here. And we said hello. And just because they wanted us to have a really nice experience and try things, they made three different drinks for us. They made us a green tea, 
kind of like a matcha drink and this beautiful purple drink made from um, blue pea flour. Blue pea flower and then uh, pineapple lychee, and they're just really vibrant and colorful. And then they just brought us out a papaya salad with crab and anchovy, and they're just like basically showering us with hospitality. And you know, I've been to Thailand, and this this tastes like that. Like I really feel like I've I've traveled somewhere else, and it's just a really nice experience. All right, so we're in the home stretch now. Where are we headed? We're heading to Kulu, which is a, a, an Asian dessert place. And we're going to try, uh, I mean, you're going to try <laughs> and see how you do uh, durian pudding. Not, not just durian pudding, durian pudding royal. Durian is, it's, it's a, you know, it's this big spiky fruit. And besides the fact that if it falls on your head, it kills you. Um, it does. It falls from trees. They put these meshes around them so they won't come hitting you in the head. And, and, and it's quite controversial in Asia. I mean, there is a lot of areas where they don't allow it in, <clears throat> inside public spaces. <laughs> like, um, you know, hotels and things like that. And, and so, I, I don't know. The only way I explain it, I, I think that there is some people who there is, is it genetic is it what is it that people are either into it or they're not there is no middle ground and I had a durian party once I had like 10 people and as soon as we cracked the first one open two people were like nope that's it we're out bye and they walked out yeah, uh, but is there any sort of way to predict like if people generally like you know salty foods or fermented foods like will they also be more inclined to like durian or is there just sort of no way to know that is i don't think there is a way to know i think you just crack it open and maybe as soon as it gets open you gotta walk out okay Uh, you ready david ready i'm scared (laughs) (laughs) well we should mention that when we were in the grocery store just a little bit ago and we saw the durian you were you were saying to smell them, and we didn't have any kind of Negative adverse reaction. reaction so yeah, but, I mean, it that's a good sign. That bodes well, it, maybe. It bodes well, but it wasn't open, and we right. didn't really get the full effect. And it had a very the, the shell of a durian is like a serious thick armor around it. So. Spikes is the punk rock fruit. All right, here we are. Mm, smells like waffle cones. So, Durian Supreme. And what's the name of this place? Uh, it's Kulu, K-U-L-U. They're specialized in, in Asian desserts, crepes, uh, coconut, coconut milk, coconut cream, mango, mango drinks, and, of course, Durian. And so what we're going for is the Durian Royale. Oh, there it is. So the durian has arrived. Durian Royale has arrived. So it looks, um, you know, it looks really... It looks innocent. It looks innocent. Yeah, and I can't smell it until I stick my nose right up in it. And then you definitely get kind of like a... I mean, I wouldn't say feet. But there's something that's like a little yeasty, like a little moldy and like... I guess funky is the is the best way. I mean, a little bit sulfuric, like a rotten egg, probably is is the closest thing. 
Um, like when I visited the Dead Sea and you get that like really sulfuric, like thick smell from far away, but you definitely have to get close to smell that. Uh, I think we should try it. Okay, here we go. Oh, it's good. It tastes so good. It tastes nothing like its smell. This is really like a don't judge a book by its cover, but in this case, smell situation. I think is see. I think if you were the kind of person who doesn't, who's not predisposed to like it, you will be walking out of here right now. But to me, it's absolutely delicious. I mean, I can see why. I can see why anybody would smell that and be like, "No way," because instinctively, like it's completely counterintuitive, counterintuitive to want to eat something that smells like that. But then you taste it, and you're like, somehow, there's. There's a difference. There's like a disconnect. It begs the question, who was the first person who tried it? Who was the first person who saw this spiky, nasty-looking thing, cracked it open, and decided that smell was worth exploring farther? So how do you feel? Um, well, I've really had fun today. And actually, like, I, I feel like I traveled. Like, I feel like I took a little world tour in a couple hours, which is a really amazing experience to feel like I've actually left New York. I mean, granted, I don't get to Queens very often, so it is pretty exotic for me. But, um, yeah, to really get, like a, like, a strong sense of several different places, like, in just a couple hours without actually leaving New York has been a really wonderful experience. So thank you. Some people who do the tour, uh, actually at the end, they start counting how many countries they visited, quote-unquote, and they go, uh, and we did Mexico, Colombia, uh, Uruguay, uh, Argentina, uh, Thailand, um, China, uh, Korea, because it's a Korean place. Yeah. Uh, how many we have there so far? Seven. That's that's pretty good. Pretty good. And we're ready now for a hammock and a nap. <laughs> In many ways, our day with culinary backstreets was represented by the final experience of eating durian. At first glance, some things felt unfamiliar and a little off-putting. But once we got past our preconceived notions, we were able to enjoy some really unique foods, speak to people we wouldn't normally encounter in our day-to-day lives, and feel as though we had traveled abroad without actually leaving New York. I learned a lot from our guide, Snyder, who, unlike most New Yorkers, doesn't avoid eye contact as he walks down the street and seeks to engage with the world around him. Here's my thing about New York. We think of New York as as really diverse, and it is, but we're also really segregated. And our segregation is not physical. It's, It's almost mental. We live in these bubbles, and we have to burst out of these bubbles and, and I don't mean to put ourselves in danger, but make ourselves uncomfortable. Like going to rooms where you don't necessarily speak the language. Uh, people who are not like you, who are not eating things that you're accustomed to. And burst out of those bubbles and, and see what you learn. We have the world at our feet here. We don't have to travel anywhere to go through five different cultures and languages in one day. And that's a tremendous privilege. And we take it for granted.
Thanks so much for listening to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio. If you'd like to learn more about the Off the Beaten Path food walks led by Culinary Backstreets, visit culinarybackstreets.com. We'll see you next week, Wednesday at 5 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.